In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. Um, I thought that it would be appropriate for us to start going through some texts from the fathers that are um, of significant importance to us or that communicate something that's very deep and profound for us. Um, there's so much that's out there, and I think that a lot of people feel that the fathers are very inaccessible because many of the quotes that will be given will be a little bit challenging or you'll automatically relate what the fathers are saying to sort of heavy, deep dogma that you're not uh, used to hearing about. Um, but there's such a, a, a wealth of, uh, of information and experience that's there amongst the fathers. And so what I wanted to do was grab one of the texts that really stood out uh, to me, and I know that has stood out to many, many people that have read this book, and kind of talk through the one chapter um, that this particular father was uh, is very known for. Um, we're going to be speaking about judging others. And as you can see, this is a painting of someone that has a rather large log that's coming out of his eye, and then a splinter in the other one's eye. Uh, and so, of course, we know what the gospel reading is that's associated with that, and we're going to go through it. But before we get there, uh, it's very important, especially when we speak about a topic like this, about judging others. We all have felt at some point like we have been judged by people, and we have felt that it, there was an injustice uh, through going uh, through an experience like that because we feel that people don't understand us or they're just speaking uh, behind our backs. and. And maybe you're going through something like that right now. Um, when we go through a talk like this, it's very easy to apply these kinds of statements towards the people that you feel are aggressors towards you. And that's not the point of a, of a talk like this. So um, this is St. Mark the ascetic. And he says this, and I've shared this quote with you guys before, but it's very important that we keep this quote in mind uh, whenever we hear sermons or we read something in the Bible or we hear talks like this. This is an incredibly important um, quote to keep in mind. And what he says is when reading the Holy Scriptures or any of the other things, when you hear a sermon, when you hear you know, a spiritual word, if someone is speaking about anything um, that is of spiritual importance. He who is humble and engaged in spiritual work will apply everything to himself and not to someone else, right? So when we speak about judging others, you have to think about how you are judging others, not how people are judging you. And again, that's not to negate that that, that happens in our own lives. Of course it does. But the point of reading something like this or going through a talk like this is to be able to see where our own shortcomings are and how we can grow from that. So this is, of course, the gospel reading that's associated with it. This is Matthew 7, verses 1 through 5. And this is Christ speaking, and he says, Judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And the measure you give will be the measure you get. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is the log in your own eye? You hypocrite, 
First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. So, of course, if you're, again, in that position where you feel like you're the one that's the victim here, you will say, yes, I'm the one that has the speck, that person has the log, They're, they should be taking care of themselves, look at them, they're the ones that are hypocrites, and that's not the point, right? This is supposed to be something that is directed towards you, because Christ's words are directed towards you, not to those around you, right? So, uh, it's very easy to not forgive someone who you think is less than you, and who is a greater sinner than you, and who's not very well liked by other people. Um, but that's what it is that we're called to do, and we're going to work through this particular writing that we were talking about, that I was alluding to. This is Ava Dorotheos of Gaza. Um, he has a wonderful book that is a short book. It's probably maybe 100 pages or so. It's called Discourses and Sayings. It's in very understandable English, I think. Uh, and I, I'm drawing quotes from one of the chapters that's particularly on judging others. It's uh, a very important uh, piece of writing here. So I would encourage you if, you, if you enjoy this, to be able to go out and get this volume. Unfortunately, I checked in the back to see whether or not we have it in our bookstore here, but I think it's sold out. Um, but it's very, very uh, easily obtained. So this is what it is that he says. For because a man does not take care of his own sins and does not weep, as the fathers have said, over his own dead man, he cannot prosper in anything good, but rather constantly turns his attention to the deeds of his neighbor. Because he's not weeping over himself, because he's not weeping over his own sins, because that person is not repenting, that person ends up focusing on everybody else and the shortcomings of everybody else. And nothing so angers God, nothing so deprives a man and leads him into the state of abandonment by God as spiteful talk or judgment, or belittling of neighbor. Those are very um, aggressive words, especially aggressive words that are coming from a monk uh, after the New Testament. Right? We don't usually hear words like this that are this aggressive uh, in the New Testament or beyond. It's usually something from the Old Testament, and God will smite you. He doesn't appreciate what it is that you're doing. He'll wipe you out from the face of the earth, etc., etc., uh, but this is what it is that he's saying. Nothing angers God more than when we speak about one another behind each other's backs and when we belittle one another and when we judge one another. Uh, and so there is obviously a, a difference between gossip and judging. And they're both wrong. And it's clear to be able to understand that. They're both wrong. This is what he says. To reproach means to say to, of someone that he lied or got angry or fell into fornication or did some other such thing. Such a one has spoken evilly of his brother. That is, he has spoken with passion concerning his brother's sins. So if you go and you say, this person lied, and this happens all the time, right? We don't even think about this. I would venture to say, even within my own experience, within my own life of uh, confession, that this is something that doesn't even come to mind when I speak to Abuna, right? You just think about like the big things, the big things that you're going to confess. But we do this so much more than the big things. You speak about people and their sins all the time. Yeah, that person, he lied to me. That person lied to that other person. That person took something from that other person. And we're always just speaking about that. And if it, even if it's not about people that we know directly, it's about politicians or something that we're following on the news or something like this, right? We're constantly just doing this. 
Um, but that is gossip, right? That's gossip. But to judge is to say that that man is a liar, an angry man, a fornicator. That's different than saying he lied or he got angry or he fornicated. It's different to say he is a liar. He is an angry man. He is a fornicator. Here he has judged the very disposition of that man's soul. He has pronounced a sentence on his whole life by saying that he is such a thing, and he has judged him as such, and this is a serious sin. I remember when I was a kid, and um, I would see that someone had lied, and I was probably seven or eight years old, which means that I had a tremendous amount of experience lying at that point. Um, and I would see that someone lied. I would say in Arabic, oh, and my parents would like not like that at all, right? Uh, because I was saying he's a liar. And they would tell me that there's a difference between saying, even in Arabic, even until now, right? That there's a difference between saying that person lied and that person is a liar. Uh, and it's because that kind of judgment that's imposed on someone is something that we regularly do all the time. We think that we have people figured out and we put them in a box. And this box that we put them in is we say, I know exactly how Peter operates. Peter is a very proud man. Therefore, everything that Peter does is out of pride. If Peter speaks in front of people, it's prideful. If Peter's silent, it's because he's prideful. If Peter's laughing, it's because he's prideful. If he's giving, it's because he's prideful. If he's taking, it's because he's prideful. It's always this, right? It's just this, this lens that you view people through. And, and we do that constantly with people, where you can see someone and you say, ah, oh, I know that he's not a trustworthy individual. Um, and so I don't trust him with anything. And you shouldn't trust him with anything. And we should never trust him. And you just kind of put him in this box. Right? And that's what it is that we're talking about. That kind of judging. It's not, again, the theoretical way that this would probably be presented on a usual basis is to be able to say that you're condemning him uh, to hell. Like you're saying, oh, this person's going to go to hell because of something like this. Uh, but I don't think that we are cognizant of doing something to that degree on a daily basis because it's so much more subtle than that. The devil isn't going to operate in these big ways. He's going to operate in little ways. So he's going to say, yeah, look, he's clearly a bad person, right? So let's not deal with him. Um, and we don't just do that with random people. We do it with people that are very close to us, but we're going to get to that soon. Judging of a soul. This is a, a terrifying story from the Desert Fathers. And it's terrifying because it brings to light what it is that we do all the time. It says, one day, Abba Isaac the Theban went to a monastery. So he's, he's not only a monk, he's an Abba, and he's someone that is within the writings of the Desert Fathers. He, this is a big one, right? He's, he's known. I guess he doesn't want me to share it. Let me bring that back up. We're going to share it. One second. All right. This is what he says. One day, Abba Isaac the Theban went to a monastery. He saw a brother committing a sin, and he condemned him. He saw him committing a sin, and he condemned him. When he returned to the desert, an angel of the Lord came and stood in front of the door of his cell and, and said, I will not let you enter. But he persisted, saying, What is the matter? And the angel replied, God has sent me to ask you where you want to throw the guilty brother whom you have condemned. So this brother had died. In other versions of this, the brother had died, the one that he judged. And the angel comes and he says, What do you want me to do with his soul? Heaven or hell? 
you decide. What do you want me to do with his soul? And Abba Isaac says, says, immediately he repented and said, I have sinned, forgive me. Then the angel said, get up, God has forgiven you. God has forgiven you, but from now on, be careful not to judge someone before God has done so. Right? So, this is a terrifying experience because I think if we frame it in this kind of fashion where we think to ourselves, if we were responsible, if our words were actually responsible for condemning someone, if God listened to what it is that we said when we spoke against somebody else, my goodness, we'd all be damned. Like, there's no way that any of us would make it, right? Uh, But that's what it is that we're doing. That's the kind of judgment that we have, so that when you say this person's a liar, and an angel were to come and tell you, okay, this person died. So, liar, this person, this person goes to hell, and you say, I, I don't know. I don't, I don't want to be responsible for something like that. I'm not responsible for something like that. And the angel would say, correct, you're not. So don't do it to start with. There's a beautiful example that Abba Dorotheos gives in this chapter. He talks about these twins, these two sisters. And they're on a boat, and they're orphans. And they come off of the boat, and in that city there's a woman that's a very holy woman. And she says, I, uh, she's a virgin, by the way, so she's living a consecrated life by herself. And she says, I want to be able to raise someone well within the faith. I wish I had a child that I can take and teach all of the beautiful things in our faith, too. And so she takes this one of, one of the, the children. She goes to the people that are running the boat, and she says, do you have kids for adoption, essentially? Uh, and she says, yeah, there's these two girls. And she says, well, I could take one. So she takes the one, and all it is that she says, she says, I will never teach her. I'll try to protect her from everything that's in this world that's bad. And all I will teach her about is how to read and pray and uh, fast and sing and uh, chant to God and, you know, the beautiful things. And I won't expose her to anything wrong. Uh, And that girl goes and she's raised in that. Now, her sister uh, is still there and she's unadopted. And there's a harlot that lives in that town. And she says, I want to adopt someone too. And so she goes and she sees this child. And they offer her this child for adoption, and she takes her. Uh, and now she raises her in that darkness, right? In that living of prostitution and as a harlot. She's not exposed to anything from the church, the Bible, uh, nothing like that, right? She's just in darkness. And he says, Abba Dorotheo says, they clearly have different upbringings. They started out the same. They had the same potential between the two of them. One was not better than the other, right? They have the same parents. They both lost their parents. There's no difference effectively between the two of them and their circumstances as they started out. But one of them got a much better state in life than the other one did. Are they both to be judged the same? So he says, now you're walking through the street and now you see this first girl the one that was raised very well. And you look at her and you say, wow, isn't that nice? Look how appropriately this, this girl carries herself and the way that she's dressed and the way that she interacts with the other people. And she's so modest and meek. And it's, it's a very beautiful th- 
thing. And then you walk some more and you find, imagine now that they've grown and they've grown in these lives and they're teenagers and you see the other one is a prostitute. And you look in disgust and you look away and you say, how could this person do something like this? Don't they know that they're making other people fall? How can you live such a life of sin? And he says, these two were the same. The, the, the only thing that was different is that this one got picked up by this one parent and this other one got picked up by another one. And they were raised outside of their own control in these kinds of situations. Would you judge them the same? What if they both fell into fornication? This is his example. What if the first one fell into fornication? What if the second one did? Would you judge them the same? Would you think that their sin is on the same level? Now, when you frame it like this, it should give you some pause. You should start thinking to yourself, I don't know what the background is of anyone around me. I don't know what the way, the manner in which anyone was raised. I don't know what their parents were like when they were growing up. I don't know if they had a very abusive childhood. I don't know if they were neglected. I don't know if kids bullied them. I don't know what's going on within them. I don't know what their past friendships are like. I don't know what their relationships were like. I don't know why this person, it's very difficult for them to trust. I don't know that. All I see is this person that's stand, standing before me and in not knowing any of that stuff, I could say, ah, yes, Peter, proud. That's all I know. But I don't know anything else, right? I don't know anything else about the past. And given a situation like this, I would say a compassionate individual who's not just looking at this in terms of black and white, because it's not black and white. A compassionate individual would see something like this, a situation like this, and would say, you have very clearly different sets of circumstances that people are raised in. Now, if I can take that and not just apply it to two sisters who are separated, but I can apply that to the people that are around me, regardless of how close they are, then I will realize that I'm not supposed to be judging anyone because I don't know. Not only do I not know their pasts, it's very difficult even for me, me as an individual, to ascertain what my own motivations in life are sometimes. I don't even know what drives me to do certain things. Sometimes I'll do something, and then it takes me some time to figure out why I did that. And sometimes I don't even know. It could be something that happened years ago that put me down in this sort of uh, path that, uh, that I have allowed to dwell and grow within me uh, without mitigation. And then now, now I come to this point in my life and I just make these kinds of decisions. And we do stuff like this even in our marriages, right? So you can be so, so close to someone, right? It could be your spouse, and you still don't know that person as well as you should because you don't even know yourself that well, right? But we will ascribe to our spouses certain motivations. No, I know this person. She's my wife. I know her much better than you do, as my wife is sitting right in front of me right now, right? I know her much better than you do. So I know her motivations much better than you guys. So if you're going to come and make excuses, don't even bother making excuses because I know, right? But I don't. I actually don't know. I don't even know that, that level to that degree to be able to judge someone like my wife, even if it's your child, for example. Now, that doesn't absolve you from the responsibility that you have towards these people, right? But it does say that even, even all of the circumstances that you think you know about someone, you will never know what's going on in someone's heart. I, for example, when I was growing up, if I had issues at school, 
between me and the rest of the kids that were there. Many of the times that I was there, I didn't share that with my parents. I wouldn't tell them that there were issues between myself and other kids at school. So how was school today? Have you been fine? It was fine. Everything was good. Meanwhile, there's something else that's going on at school, right? So even if you're a parent and you say, well, I'm around this kid all the time. I know what it is that drives them. I know what it is that's getting to them. You still don't know, right? And so you don't know eventually, effectively, what it is that drives people. And you don't know yourself that well. If you knew yourself to that degree, well, there's, there's this line that says, uh, know yourself, know God, right? If you knew who you were, your true identity as a Christian, which is what it is that we're all called to be, everybody in the world is called to be a Christian, right? A son of God. If we actually knew what our, our identity was the way that God sees us, then it would be different. But that level of perfection is what we're striving to get to. That's not what we're at now, and that's not something that we're just going to achieve overnight. And so if you don't know yourself to that degree, you definitely don't know others to that degree. And if you don't know others, you can't judge because you don't know what their motivation is. Everyone following along? Yeah? Okay. Oh, uh, Apart from that as well, whenever it is that we end up judging people, we always see them, just like I was saying before, in a very unidimensional setting, right? Like, it's, this person always operates just based on this one motivation. That's it. Uh, and if someone comes and asks you why you did something, like if, even if I did something that was wrong, I actually messed up, and someone comes and asks me, why did you do that? It's never six words long. I did it. I did this because of this. No, it's always this huge elaborate story. And it's not because it's fake. It's not a fake story. It, there's always these circumstances that are going in there. I did this because there was this and the moon was out. And uh, you know, there's all, this whole story that comes along with it, which is true. And it doesn't, it, it's not to detract from what it is. But it, even within yourself, if you can see within yourself that you don't have one motivation that's in life, how can you imagine that someone else does? Even when they sin. Ava Dorotheos says, Truly it happens that a man may do some sin out of simplicity, but he may have something good about him which is more pleasing to God than his whole life. And you sit in judgment and burden your own soul? And should it happen that he has fallen away, how do you know how much and how well he fought how much blood he sweated before he did it. And this is the way that this paragraph ends, and I think it's so, this is like a mic drop, and then I don't know why he continues after this. Uh, but he says, you may well know about the sin, but you do not know about the repentance. You may well know about the sin, but you don't know about the repentance. Um, there is, uh, the reason why I put this icon up, there's a story, in the, from the desert, that there was a, a monk um, who every day he would wake up in the morning and he would say, today I'm going to do the best that I can. God, please help me, protect me. Thank you so much for getting me through the night. Please don't let me fall into sin today. I'm really going to try my hardest. And that day he went out and he fornicated. And then he came back at night and he was just absolutely sorrowful. It was terrible for him. And he got down on the ground and he was tears, and I'm so sorry, God, I can't believe that I fell into this, right? I'm, sp I'm supposed to be a monk. Uh, God, have mercy on me. I know that you'll have mercy on me. And then he goes to sleep. 
And then he woke up the next day, and he said, thank you, God, for getting me through the night. Please, God, strengthen me today. Allow me not to fall into this temptation again. And then that day he goes out, and he fornicated. And he comes back that night, and he's again in shambles, tears, and really heartfelt. I mean, it's not, he's not faking it, right? He's not pulling a fast one on God. He's actually repentant. And he does this every single day for 10 years. And at the end of the 10 years, he dies. And then there's an angel that appears to him and a demon that appears in front of his soul. And the demon says, ah, wonderful. We finally get you. You're ours. You've sinned every single day. Every single time you said that you weren't going to do it again, you did it. You're totally ours. And the angel says, no, 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 no. He's ours. You don't know what you're talking about. He says, how could you say that? He said, because every single time that he fell, he really repented. Every single time it was true. It was real repentance. That was his struggle. Even though he fell, that was his struggle. Now, for me, if I'm outside and observing something like this, right, not seeing angels and demons, not seeing any of that, and I see a monk that's falling into this, I'm, I'm definitely going to say, even if I hear about it once, not 10 years continuously every day, once, up oh, that monk, going to hell. That's gone. This, this guy's gone. You just send him out of the church. He's gone, right? Uh, because that's how it is that we perceive one another, right? We just ascribe this sort of idea. You put it, you see someone fall, now this person's terrible. Now, take that instead of just a monk and put it towards someone at church or someone at home or someone at work, someone at work who did wrong by you once. And now all it is that you think about all the time, this person is a terrible person. This person's terrible because they always have it out to get me. This person's a terrible person because they're dishonest. And you have no idea what their own actual heart is like because you don't see the repentance. All you see is the sin. This is St. John the Short. He says, it says of him, in the sayings of the Desert Fathers, it says, if he saw or heard about someone falling into sin, he would cry and groan with a heavy heart, saying, him today, me tomorrow. And he would beseech the Lord on this person's behalf. This is a very famous line, right? Him today, me tomorrow. I can't judge him because the thing that I think, I'm so far above that. There's no way that I would fall into a sin like that. That, that sin is for sinners. That sin is for bad people that don't go to church. I go to church. What are you talking about? I could never fall into something like that. These sins that you think that you're above and beyond, you're not above them. We're not, none of us are, right? The only reason why most of us have not fallen into most of the sins is because God has given us so much grace in our lives not to be tempted by it to start with. But if you actually examine yourself and you say, how many times in a day when a, when, when a temptation comes, do I assent to it and I say, you know what? Yeah, I'm actually going to commit the sin. How many times does that happen in a day? Could you imagine if you had access, free access to all the sins that you wanted to do and that temptation actually rose up in your heart just for a second? Like, thank God that he protects us from this, right? But if you think to yourself that you're above this, that only those people do that, I would never do that. You are sadly mistaken. And that's why St. John the Short would think this. 
And it wasn't like he was just saying this just for the sake of saying it, right? So that he could teach the rest of us. He actually believes this, right? Him today, me tomorrow. And so this is the way of saints. As I said, this is Avadorotheo speaking. Uh, this is an icon of St. Macarius the Great, and we're going to get to a story of him doing this in just a second. This is the way of the saints, Avadorotheos. As I said, if we have true love, that very love would cover all sins, as did the saints when they saw the shortcomings of men. Were they blind and did not see sins? And who hated sin more than the saints? But they did not hate the sinners all the same time, nor condemn them, nor turn away from them. They did not hate sinners, nor condemn them, nor turn away from them, but they suffered with them, admonished them, comforted them, gave them remedies as sickly members, and did all they could to save them. There's a very famous story of St. Macarius the Great. He was outside of his cave, and he saw one day that the devil was walking in front of his cave. You could go to Egypt in Wadi Notrun, and you can actually see where his cave is. And there is a path that is in front of him, but I don't, I don't know if that's the same path that was there. But nonetheless, he's standing outside of his cave, and he sees the devil walking. And he says to the devil, because it's St. Macarius the Great, Hi, how's it going today? And the devil says, uh, yeah, it's going well. I'm on my way. I'm on my way to, uh, to do some work. And he looks at him and he sees that there's a bunch of these little bottles. He has holes in his, uh, in his clothes and there are little bottles that are hanging from these clothes. And so St. Macarius says, what's with the bottles? What's in the bottles? And he says, oh, these are the temptations that I'm going to take down to the monks down the road. And if, I'll try one bottle and if it doesn't work, I'll try another one and eventually I get them. Right? So St. Macarius says, okay, well, on your way. And so the demon walks, and he goes over to the monks. And he comes back later that day, and St. Macarius is standing in front of his cave again, and he sees the demon crossing in front. And he says, uh, how'd it go? And he says, not bad. Most of them didn't listen to me, but there's always one that I can always count on. He's my favorite. Every time I offer him something, he falls. So what's his name? He says, Theopemptus. And he said, okay, all right, thanks. And the demon walks on his way. So now St. Macarius, he knows that this person is a sinner. He knows it from the devil. He knows that this person is a sinner. Now, if he thinks to himself, ah, this man's a sinner. He's living in a community of monks. I know that when he's offered particular temptations, he just takes them. If it was me, not St. Macarius, if it was me, I would say, that person is probably poisonous for that community. Let's get him out. It's clear from the story, everybody else in the community is fine. They're not responding to the tactics of the demons. So let's take that one out because he's the, he's the bad seed. Let's get him out so that he doesn't infect everybody else. What does St. Macarius do? Because he's St. Macarius the Great. He says, I'm going to walk down to the monks. So he goes down to the monks, and the monks see him coming, and they get very excited because he's not just 
another monk that's there. They all know him as Abba Macarius the Great, right? He is renowned at that time. He is a giant. And they get very excited and they say, oh, I hope he's coming to visit me in my cell. And so he's walking down and they're saying, Abba, are you going to come see me? Uh, and then he's like, it's, I mean, it's really nice to see you guys. Where's Theopemptus' cell? And so they direct him towards it. And of course, they're all disappointed because he's not coming to visit them. But I'm sure that he was very compassionate in the way that he is because he's a very compassionate saint. And he goes down to Theopemptus and he sits with him in his cell. And he says, how's it going? And Theopemptus says, by the grace of God, everything's going really well. Now, St. Macarius knows that that's not true. And when we are asked the same thing by most people, we actually respond pretty much the same way. You could have like your arm cut off and someone asks you, how are things going? You say, oh, you know, thank God, everything's going really well. Um, How could you, Nagy? How could you? You're only responsible for animals. Not <laughs> I'm just kidding. Only kidding. <laughs> so he says, just as, just as I was saying before, uh, most of us don't answer honestly when we're asked that, right? And it's actually recorded. Thank God everything is fine, right? And so he says, you don't have any struggles or anything like that? He says, no, you know, I've been here for some time. And everything's going pretty well. And St. Macarius, instead of saying, he could say, I know you're lying because I spoke to the devil that came to tempt you and he told me that you took up all of the temptations. I know that you're lying to me. That's not what it is that he says, right? Because that's not the way of the saints. He says, you know, I've been in the, in the desert for so many years and I've been battling in this warfare for so long and even until now, I still fall into bad thoughts. And Theopemptus says, ah, me too. I fall into, into bad thoughts like that too. He says, yeah. Do you know what I do when I fall into thoughts like that? He says, no, Abba, what do you do? He says, I do X, Y, Z. And he tells him. He says, you know what? Sometimes, this is now St. Macarius speaking again. Sometimes I get angry at the, at the other monks. He says, me too. He says, you know what I do when I get angry? And he tells him. And by this method, he essentially extracts this confession from this Theopemptus. And then St. Macarius departs. He goes back to his cave. The next day, he sees the devil is crossing again. And he sees that he's going down. Let's him go, and then as he's coming back, he looks at him, he says, huh, how'd it go today? He says, awful, it was terrible. He says, why? He says, I went down, and that one Theopemptus that I used to go tempt is now completely against me. He won't listen to anything that I say. He won't take any of, of the things that I'm tempting him with. I'm leaving this community for now. I'm, I'm just, I, I can't deal with it because they're so against me, right? St. Macarius, the way that he ended up doing it, the way that we're supposed to be doing it with each other when we see someone that's sinning, is to cover someone else's sin, right? It's not to go, St. Macarius didn't go and tell other people, by the way, this man's a sinner. We should get this man out. 
We shouldn't trust this person. This person, look at the position that they have in church. We should try to get this person out of their position in church because they're, you know, they're vile, wretched beings that shouldn't be exposed to other people. This is terrible, right? That's not what it is that he did. And he didn't go down and accuse this person. He went down with love. And in true, loving manner, brought that person back to Christ. That's how we're supposed to deal with each other. That's the way of the saints, right? There's a reason why this, this is recorded. Because this is, a, this is a very high level way of doing things. But we're supposed to be able to extract something from that. You know, we, we all hear these kinds of sermons all the time and talks. And, and you say to yourself, you know what? I'm going to start putting that into practice. Even if we could do it for like the next 10 minutes, wonderful. Right? Because after that, we're all going to forget. We get our coffee and you know, the next person messes up in front of us and says, oh, forget it. This person's a sinner. Um, but at least even if we could do it for that 10 minutes, how wonderful would that be? Just, just to be able to get that grace just for a little bit and say, you know what? I'm not going to judge what that person did. And I'm going to pray for them. And if I'm responsible for them the way that St. Macarius was responsible for him, I'm going to exercise that responsibility in the right way, in a loving way. Now, Abba Dorotheus closes his, his writing with this beautiful analogy. He says, we are all as though we are in a big circle, and we're all points on this circle, okay? Like a big circle so you can see the points that are on the outside. And he says, we're all separate from one another, and in the center is God. If we get close as a point, if we draw closer to God and we go down that line, you naturally draw closer to everybody else around you, right? The whole circle gets much closer. So you're not just getting closer to God. As you get closer to God, you're getting closer to everybody else that's around you as well, right? And the further that you get away from other people, naturally you're also getting the further away that you are that you're getting from God, right? So this is the very nature of love. The more we are turned away from and do not love God, the greater the distance that separates us from our neighbor. If we were to love God more, if we were to love God more, we should be closer to God. And through love of him, we should be more united in love to our neighbor. And the more we are united to our neighbor, the more we are united to God. Alba Dorotheus of Gaza. Nice short book called Discourses and Sayings. I absolutely recommend you guys to pick it up and, and read it with the uh, advice of your spiritual guide as well. Um, but it is, it's, it's very profound. And one of the things that I wanted to communicate in this as well is that even though these are monks, we think these monks don't have issues in their own communities. There's no way that they'd be able to understand what it is that we're dealing with in our works and in our churches here. They're at the battlegrounds, and they're writing to us from the battlegrounds and telling us what it is that we're supposed to be doing here, right? They're, they're like a front line. We're way in the back. They're front line, and they're saying, let me tell you how it is that you guys are supposed to be doing things. So we should take this opportunity to be able to read what it is that they're saying to us, because these things were written for our benefit, not to be studied by academics, 
not so that Abuna can just take it and then you know, tell you a quote here or there. It's so that you can take it and you can apply it within your own life. So that we can learn how not to judge one another, but to actually help one another. Questions? Discourses and sayings. If you type in Avadorotheos of Gaza, it's, it's, it's the one that pops up. Other questions? And glory be to God forever. Man. Let's stand up to pray. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. Through the intercessions of the Holy Virgin Mary Theotokos, through the prayers of St. Paul and St. Macarius the Great, hear us, O God, when we call upon you, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. In Christ Jesus our Lord, for thine is a kingdom, a power, and the glory forever. Amen.